Hello, my name is Jay Metha, and you're listening to The Voice Podcast. Twenty seventeen. What a year. And whether it has been a year of revolution or reform for each individual person, this year, this year of the beginning of the Trump presidency, this year of FBI investigations into Russian interference in American elections, this year of entire institutions crumbling at the feet of the incredible Me Too movement, this year has been frankly surreal. So, as we begin 2018, I thought it would be healthy to examine the political year in review. I sat down with the writers of the Where We Stand column for The Voice to pick their brains on the subject. Success is a pretty subjective word when you're talking about a presidency. Does success mean keeping promises, or does success mean doing the most net good? Keeping that in mind, we began with a subject that might seem like pretty straightforward success, but when you look at it in terms of net good or bad, might yield some more contentious debate. And that is, of course, the tax plan. I think for everybody, but mostly for Trump supporters, clearly, (laughs) um, that it was a a success. That's Grace Parkinson, writer of the conservative side of the column. I think it gave hope to a lot of people who voted for Trump that he was actually going to you know, make good on his promises. And hope is a powerful force, but what about the other side? I mean, he definitely got it done. That would be Will Rowland, writer of the liberal side of the column. But I think if you think about how how much turmoil has happened over the year, I don't know, I think it's very indicative of the way he's run the office over the last year, that basically you have all of this... Um, kind of upheaval and drama happening, and then you have these two huge bills happening, healthcare and taxes, and he gets one of them passed. So, um, I mean, if you're talking about it fulfilling a promise, then it's good he got the tax plan passed. But, I mean, I'm not a huge fan of it. And while it can seem a bit circuitous uh, to describe the tax plan in terms of the other events that were occurring around it, the reality is nothing in the political world happens in a vacuum. So I asked them what effect they actually thought these other events that Will is describing had on the tax plan itself or on its passage or, or on the way it was covered. I think that there's just, every time Trump does anything, it's kind of just... A, a storm and everyone's freaked out no matter what it is and I think that um, that it makes his his tax plan everything he does just seem like evil and people are just against it and so I think then it's harder for for the conversation to take place I watched a video where they um, they went on the street and told uh, liberals or it was Hillary supporters and Bernie supporters that this was Bernie's tax plan and they said all of Trump's points for his tax plan, and they all agreed with the, the plan. So I think, really, at this point, it's just name recognition, and people aren't really taking account the issues, and they're really focusing on if Trump likes it, I don't. And I think that's kind of defining everything Trump's doing right now. Um, and I think, I wish people would maybe take a closer look into the tax plan and all the specifics 
of what he's doing and then make their decision. And Grace's point is a pretty politically commonplace. We have seen this before, um, notably with Obamacare. But when I asked Will, he seemed to believe that you really can't look at the tax plan without looking at all the other political events which surrounded it. I think it's tough to look at anything he's he does um, completely without bias because he's had so, so much has happened. I mean, you can't... When you consider everything happening over the summer, um, the very beginning of his office being completely um, dominated by the investigation that the FBI did to him and Comey and all of that, it's really hard to look at any of these bills that he's tried to um, get passed objectively. They seem, to me, they seem minor um, in the grand scope of his presidency, which is pretty dangerous because they are anything but that. But setting aside the politics, what do they actually think of the content of this bill? I think the major um, point people have against it is they always say, well, these ta- the new tax cuts, they're just going back into the pockets of the wealthy. And um, they can just say that a blanket statement with any Republican who wants to do tax cuts, I think. But um, this one is really going towards businesses. And whether you think that that's good or not, it's really going on businesses and small businesses and lowering um, the highest tax that they can pay. Um, which is, it's putting more money. I mean, companies are giving out bonuses to all their employees. It's allowing for for growth and hiring um, new employees. Uh, I think, I think, and it's got, I mean, the child tax deductions are obviously going into to, to any type of family. So I, I think it's directed in the right place. Surprisingly, uh, and somewhat encouragingly, Will had a very similar answer. I, I pretty much agree. I think that there's definitely... Um, I mean, consider like I think that there's always going to be like a partisan divide in what the goal of taxes is. But I think that considering um, leadership, considering the leadership right now, I think it, I think it's a pretty good plan. So then, of course, there is health care, the other major legislative battle of the year. And I, I asked Grace whether or not she thinks Republicans are happy with the current state of affairs. With regards to health care? Um, I think definitely not. And I think <laughs> anyone who voted for Trump or who supported Trump can say that they aren't happy with it. And I think that, yeah, health care and repealing Obamacare is one of the main things that Trump ran on. And uh, it's a shame that we can't, we can't get rid of it and we're trying. That they are. But according to Will, the problem might be even more fundamental. It's tough when you have... Um, you have a plan like Obamacare, which was so ambitious. I mean, the idea of universal health care. Um, it's just not going to work. I mean, yeah, like, it. there were a lot of flaws with it. I mean, definitely, I don't think that the Republican plan is better in any means than Obamacare. I mean, it's just tough when you have an issue like health care, which is so essential, that has kind of been muddled up by basically partisan squabble. But despite its importance, Grace still believes that perhaps we're holding this bill to too high of a standard. I think that um, an issue is people, this perception that when we implement this new health care that it needs to be perfect. 
and that we need a really good plan going into it. And the truth is we just need to, to get rid of Obamacare and, um, and start from there. So, that, so I think that's also holding us back a little bit. We also discussed the issue of removing Confederate monuments, which garnered most public attention this year with the protests over the removal of a statue of Robert E. Lee in Charlottesville, Virginia, um, wherein neo-Nazis clashed with protesters in an altercation which killed at least three, um, in which dozens were injured. Uh, We discussed not only that event, but the issue at large. Well... It's just like honestly, I think that I mean, I think Charlottesville isn't really representative of the issue at hand, which is removing monuments, because because the people marching at Charlottesville um, weren't in favor of you know what the general conservative view is that we should you know just keep these. They're kind of glorifying Robert E. Lee, I think it was, um, yeah, it was and glorifying in there like we should be we should go back to the Confederacy, whatever, which isn't really I think the issue that many it's not either like i enjoyed slavery or i didn't enjoy slavery Mm. which is what that issue was turned into but really should we be removing statues and renaming buildings or should we not i think the the thing of i mean charlottesville is obviously a a worst case scenario for that debate but i don't think it's no but no but i I agree you know I mean, the... It was talked about, so we should talk about it. The essential debate of the Confederate monument is... I mean, if you have a monument to Robert E. Lee, that is a little bit more black and white because he is a general who was trained at West Point, who grew up and served in the American military and then left it and became a traitor. So in my mind, that becomes very cut and dry... We, sh- we wouldn't have a monument to Benedict Arnold. We shouldn't have a monument to Robert E. Lee. Um, but then if you have, like, a monument to nurses of the Confederacy, that's where I can see how someone would say this is honoring the people who lost their lives, um, helping their family, their brothers, um, fight in a war. To me, I still don't think that's enough to justify immortalizing um, Southern tradition or whatever that is. So then the next question I asked them was, if there was a, an issue in the course of the year on which they disagreed with their own party, on which perhaps they wish they were riding the other side of the column, Will answered first. I think that there's a huge problem with throwing blame to the other side of the party, um, kind of typecasting every Republican as an alt-right, as a Nazi. So I think that's probably the main thing I've disagreed with my own party on, because it seems like more than ever, liberals are just laughing at dumb, kind of racist, sexist Republicans, which is only, it only divides. And... Grace's answer actually brought in a whole other interesting issue from this year. I think that um, one issue that I disagreed with most conservatives on, um, and I don't even know if most conservatives agreed, but was net neutrality. They actually asked us to write an an article on net neutrality, and I said no thanks because um, I didn't think we should repeal net neutrality. Um, 
And also that, again, came with the kind of scare that happens anytime a conservative, you know, bill is proposed or anything. But uh, That was a conservative bill, right? Yeah, to repeal. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, and it's, it was repealed. And I disagreed because, you know, there's the whole... Because I, I thought, you know, the net should be regulated. You shouldn't... Everyone should have access to it. It should yeah. all be the same, you know, speed. You shouldn't have to charge or, you know, be able to charge or have to pay. And net neutrality is a unique issue because if you think about it ideologically, it seems like a fairly straightforward, liberals are associated with government regulation and conservatives want minimal government interference issue, but it seemed as though it wasn't swept up in quite the same partisan divide that other issues this year were. Uh, issues that we might look back on and think, why did that have to be political? I was curious as to why they thought net neutrality was able to avoid going the same way as those other issues. According to Will, it might honestly come down to our modern values as a population. I think the reason net neutrality kind of didn't get swept up in political uh, lines is because of, I mean, the feeling of like immediacy that everyone had with the internet. Like, if you take an issue like healthcare, which, if you think about it, is one of the more immediate issues that people could, people could get to, like, influence. It's, like, determining what, like, what kind of money they have to pay to be healthy, to stay alive. But I think the reason no one wanted net neutrality to be repealed is because everyone uses the internet every single day. It's a necessity of life that is more present in definitely young people's lives who aren't really thinking about health care to even like older people like uh my dad probably thinks about stuff he saw on the internet more every day than he thinks about his health care plan so i think that's i think that can't be overstated and then we moved on to probably the most interesting issue of the year the fbi investigation into russian collusion and it's interesting because that kind of thing only happens once in a political blue moon, obviously. And as Will put it... And we had two! That we did. So, naturally, I was eager to hear what they had to say on the issue. I began with Will, and his tone almost had a ring of genuine awe to it. A report came out sometime this week that said that Trump had tried to fire Mueller in June, right after... He had brought out accusations, which is just insane. Think about, think about like, um, in a hundred years, a student being taught that. Trump, as a president, tries to, pub like, publicly, in the office of president, tries to fire someone who just brought out an accusation against him. I mean, that is just, that is, like, the highest, one of the most powerful pe people in the world. Very publicly trying to obscure justice, right? I mean, it's, it's, it's unbelievable. And he does it so much. He does it all the time, which is just, it's really admirable, I would say. It's admirable. I mean, <laughs> he has such a commitment. Will's humor aside, I did want to know what Grace had to say on the issue. The thing is, everybody wants to go after Trump. Every, everybody wants to go after Trump Because he just keeps possible. giving you the opportunity, though. 
their valid points aside, I did want to know why Grace thought it's been so long since we've had a massive grand jury investigation into a president. Why does this happen with Trump? I think it's because this is one of the rarest elections and that nobody thought Trump was going to win. And then, and then he beat Hillary. And if you had, you know, looking back, these people are looking back and saying, how did this happen? And then it's, it's all very obvious, kind of, in retrospect. But they, in some respects, they want something to point to and say, this is why he won. And I think it's still just the shock that he won and that he had to have done something. So you, so you think that the reason Trump has come under so much criticism is because of the unpredictability of his win, not because of... No, I mean, clearly there's a lot of other things, but... I mean, yeah. But still, I nobody thought he was going to win, and it's... I mean, it is miraculous, considering what came out about him during the election, um, which was not... Like, every, I mean, you could say that most presidents, when they're running for office, they have kind of a bunch of kind of, like, accusations hurled at them Mm -hmm. um, because they're in the public eye and it's the best time to do it. Um, But, I mean, Trump really got the all-star treatment. Um, And, I mean, Hillary definitely did, too. It was a... It was a really, really fun campaign. Vicious. But um, I don't think, I don't think you can boil it down to just that because every single thing Trump has done, from winning the Republican nomination to today, has been just bonkers. I mean, if you think about. I mean, there's no doubt that he's not, like, he's he's a little crazy. I mean, sure. Mueller, uh, he I tried mean, to fire you, Comey. You, Didn't he try to fire you, Comey? He's like, a very stable genius. If you concede the fact that he's a little bit crazy. I mean, so, you like, can't say he's not in, with his, you know, his Twitter and, and everything. He's very impulsive. But, um, sorry, what, you, what was the question? No, my question is if, if you can see the fact that he's really crazy, uh, then isn't that one of the reasons why people might want to go after him? Yeah, I think... Is that an, un, is that an invalid reason for going after him? Um, or for keeping on his case? I think kind of for keeping on the case. You can always go after and look. If I mean, clearly... It's all about justice, and um, it's all about that justice. It's all it's all about justice for the kids. Um, <laughs> but uh, so, but I think at this point, like, get over it, you know. Get over it. <laughs> He's the president. I get think. Get over what? Putin's the president. Get you know, over these it. conspiracies, and I'm all for conspiracies, as many would know. I like them. I like looking into them. I think they're interesting, but um, like Hillary got off. Hillary got off, though. <laughs> Hillary got off because she lost. She didn't... Like, if she had been elected, she would have been just tortured for all eight years of her presidency, um, whereas Trump will be tortured for all four years of his. But Will's sublime humor aside, again, he brings up a good point, which is 
re-election. Now, we're only one year into this presidency, so any talk of re-election is obviously speculation and um, a bit of a shot in the dark, as is anything with this presidency. But I still wanted to know what they thought this far in about re-election. Now, keep in mind, this was recorded uh, a few weeks ago, and the stock market does look a bit different now than it did then, but... Uh, that aside, their answer still might not shock you. I think he'll be reelected. You think he'll be reelected? Why did you I mean, it's only a year in, so it's really hard to tell. But um, I know, but what a year! But what a year! But the what thing is, a year. nothing's gone terribly. Some would disagree with me, but the economy's good. Our unemployment rate's good, and I know a lot of people will say, "Well, that carried on from Obama," but but everything so far is looking good. Um, I mean, everything is looking good if you don't take into account... I mean, if you look at numbers, like economy, um, number of, like, executive orders, um, like, numbers, it's fine. But... I mean, definitely the general spirit. I don't know. Like, well, there's a... Like, my parents and I have talked about, like, the tangible feeling of optimism mm-hmm. that a country has under certain presidents. Like, I think that the, like, Reagan was and remains so important because of the optimism and the feeling of, like, like, we weren't alive, so we yeah. can't relate to why Reagan is so, like, revered. But, like, my parents told me that when Reagan was president, there was just this feeling of, um... I mean, like, a mix of national pride and just kind of, like, a good morale. But if you take into account the morale of the nation now with Trump, it's not spectacular. And I don't think you can't, you can't cut out the feeling of the public when you're talking about a president. I mean, socially... There is, I mean, we're at a watershed moment in so many different battles, um, healthcare, uh, civil rights, um, voting rights with, I mean, he's brought everything back. He is, he's a catalyst. So I think that you can't, I don't think he's going to be reelected because I think if anything, one of the real problems with the last election, like you said, is that no one thought he was going to win. Yeah. So no one... I mean, a lot of people did come out to vote because, he. I mean, he didn't win the popular vote. But more people, if he... He'll seek the bid again. And, I mean, people will come out to vote for whoever's running against him, I think. Unless they pick someone... Unless the nominee, again, is someone who is as hated... As Hillary was. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. And also, I think, you know, I personally am not, like, a giant fan of Trump. I'm not a complete 100% I love Trump where a lot of people are. But I think the thing is, Trump was the only one, the only person who could have won that election. Um, Only Republican who could have won, which is... I don't know. It's yeah. something to think about. It's a little... It's interesting. That's kind of showing where the direction of politics is going into. We also discussed Jerusalem. Are you mad about that? Am I mad about Jerusalem? I am... 
I was a little bit mad. Why, though? I just think that it's... I think it's frustrating, personally, that so quickly someone is able to completely destroy the pattern of foreign policy that America has had for, like, 50 years regarding Israel. I don't know. I might be wrong. I thought it was... It was voted on a while ago. I think what she may be referring to there is when Israel itself declared Jerusalem its own capital, which was met with uh, a UN condemnation of the annexation of East Jerusalem. But that's besides the point. Grace views the Jerusalem issue as a perfect continuation of Trump's pattern thus far. But I just I think it shows that Trump isn't afraid. Like, honestly, I just think it shows that Trump isn't afraid at all about but, what people are going to say. He's just getting things done. But see, that's not good for me. I'm good with a president who is going to do what he, he wants to do. And, I mean, success, if, you're, if we're back to success, Trump is, in a lot of ways, fulfilling, maybe, maybe not, with the tax plan, he got it. He got it passed, and that is a significant goal. But, like, he is fulfilling personality, the personality that people voted for. Yeah. I think a lot of people voted for the personality of Trump, and he's done that. So, if people voted for the personality of Trump, and Trump has delivered on the personality that he advertised, the question then becomes, is that personality enough to push an agenda through? So, I asked the two of them whether or not Whatever, whatever successes Trump has experienced, whatever successes the Republican Party has experienced in the past year, have they happened because of Trump? Or have they happened in spite of Trump? No, I think Trump definitely had something to do with it. I think, honestly, that Trump is doing somewhat of a better job than our, con- our conservative congressmen. And the fact that they're... The, they're kind of afraid of what the people are going to say more and they want to be like I'm against Trump here's what I want and I think that that that's why we're not working together but no I think that we can kind of give praise to both Trump and and everyone else with that I don't think that was despite Trump I think it is what I'm saying I think it's tough to define which party is more to blame in this case because you have Trump who is doing everything um, because he's him, and he, for him, there is no post-Trump year, right? If you think about it, these other, like Paul Ryan, is very much thinking about what is going to happen to my political career. Yeah, exactly. When Paul, when Donald Trump is gone, because I mean, you can't. If Paul, if he supports everything that Trump does. Um, and then it all, this is a possibility. I'm not saying it's going to happen. And then it all become, and it all historically becomes, or even, not even historically, just in three years when it, when the not, like the next election happens, all of these things that Trump did, uh, turn out to be terrible mistakes. Then Paul Ryan is basically, his reputation is tainted and, if we're talking about the value of a politician, 
it's good that Trump is pursuing exactly what his, his like his self is telling him to do. But when you hear something like from inside the White House that says, oftentimes a POTUS staff will have to rush to Donald Trump's side to prevent him from tweeting something or to calm him down if he hears a news report. That doesn't fill me with confidence about his decision-making because it, it kind of makes, me see, makes it seem like he is acting based only on, like, his id, right? Yeah. He, he, his, de- his decisions, however valiant they may be because they aren't affected by political points, they are, in fact, dominated by fits of rage or emotional um, instability or, like, a tiny little voice in his head that's telling him mm-hmm. his hands are big or something, I don't know. <laughs> Now, the debate over Trump's hand size and all of the intricacies therein really do tickle my brain, but we were running out of time, and I really wanted to ask them about a question I personally am interested in and think about a lot, and that is, how will this first year in office be looked at in a hundred years? And, you know, what will what will history have to say about 2017? You want to go first? I think that Trump and his election was historic and it was all about, you know, taking down the power and, you know, remove, like drain the swamp. And it's all about bringing this outsider into Washington mm-hmm. and he's representing the everyday man and he's kind of, whether you like it or not, he, he represents, you know, everyday Americans. And I know that, but that's, that what, that's what he stood for. Hillary was the establishment. He was the anti-establishment. Mm-hmm. And I think that's kind of been all about this year. Um, and it's kind of taking down the power and like realizing that, I don't know. And then I also thought, you know, Will said earlier, something that he thought kind of defined the year was sexual assault and all that. And I thought we kind of saw the same thing, which is taking down the establishment of all these higher ups, really protected men in Hollywood and, yeah. you know, revealing them. And I think it's... And politics. Yeah. I mean, yeah. You had- yeah. A no bunch of senators. Mean. You had a bunch yeah, of senators. And no one had, yeah, exactly. And I think it's kind of a year of going after people. Yeah, I think I think going after people is a good... That's a good segue into my think, thoughts about it. I think that their 2017 was a year of reaction. A year of reactionism, basically. I mean, Trump is a reaction. An equal... Very much a reaction. He is yeah. a reaction to Obama, I think. And I think that the surge in alt-right stuff and the surge in Trump is basically based in a reaction to the, I mean, the reforms that Obama brought in, um, the kind of the increased talk in Black Lives Matter, uh, LGBTQ rights. I don't know if I have the most up-to-date acronym there. I don't know what that, um, so I'm sorry. Uh, sexual assault I mean he that was his presidency I think kind of saw the baseline of what is we're seeing now for sexual assault there were a few big ones there are a few big accusations during the Obama administration um, of sexual assault and then this year you have Trump who is a reaction but then you also have like I said earlier the Democrats reacting to Trump 
So I think that this year will be defined as basically these two parties reacting to these um, huge cultural shifts that are going on. I mean, you said, I mean, it's interesting. If you really look at the fundamental ideas of what is going on right now, you have the establishment of Hillary Clinton versus the everyday man of Trump. But I think it, I think calling Trump an everyday man is misleading. I think what it is, is misleading. What is really happening, I think, is you have government versus business. Mm-hmm. I mean, Trump, in no mean, in no like in no way would I define him as the everyday man. He like went to military academy and he was born very rich. He was born with a fortune. Um, but his tax plan, like you said, it benefits businesses um he by draining the swamp i mean i don't think he did as much of a swamp drain as he promised he would but i mean he did bring in a lot of people without that were controversial because of their beliefs but they were business they're business people he brought in an oil guy he brought in steve bannon um who granted have very strong politics but are business people. So I don't think that it's the everyday man. I don't think it's the struggle of the everyday man versus the government. I think it's the struggle of business um, versus government. And the everyday man, the white, the silent white majority that won the election for Trump is aligning themselves with Trump because they see him as the symbol of America and the free market. So, judging by the length of this podcast, this was one of the longer interviews I've done uh, in the Voice podcast, and and doing an interview with two people at once was um, a bit uh, frightening for me, a bit experimental. Um, but it was really entertaining and really interesting to watch them interact. And so, I wanted to um, ask them at the end to close off uh, to reflect on their experience writing the Where We Stand column over the past one or two years. Oh, okay. That's, this like is that. a nice positive note to end it on. Yeah, Do you yeah. want to go first or should I? Um, no, I, I'll go first. Okay. Sure. Um, yeah, I mean, I really like doing the column. A lot of times people will tell me they really like what I wrote. A lot of times people will not tell me they like what I wrote. Um, I have to be careful sometimes, and sometimes I really should be more careful about what I say, but... Um, I really like looking into both sides of the issue, and I think that it's taught us a good thing, which is we look into our argument and what the other side's argument is, and it really helps us understand each topic. And then every week, or every month, Will and I can discuss it at our pay stuffs and everything. I enjoy writing it. Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think that it's a great... I don't get a lot of comments on my column. I don't think our grade, juniors, uh, reads it as much as... Um, your grade does. I get more comments from your grade than um, my own. But I think that, um, I mean, I like writing it. I think it's very important for, I think it's really important for young, for like high schoolers to think about this stuff. Um, It's been very good for me to consider the complexities of what is going on and the historical significance behind each issue. And I think that getting to do this column every month has been really good 
for my um, understanding of Republican mentality and Republican politics, um, which I think is very important for everyone to understand. Um, and yeah, we get to talk about it every month and we're friends now, which is, which is pretty dope. We um, never argue. We don't argue that much, which is good. Um, I don't Neither think, of us are too extreme. So. Yeah, I don't think James and Alice, who were, I mean, talk about nepotism, uh, handed the column down to us. <laughs> We've had it for two it was, years. I mean, if, if you would let me go on for another hour, we could have gone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Big thank you to Will and Grace for sitting down to talk with me. Thank you to Spencer Thutt for providing the music for this podcast. Thank you to the universe for giving me something to talk about every once in a while. And of course, thank you for listening. <laughs>